The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. My guest today is an award-winning journalist and the weekend anchor of Global National, Farah Nasser. How are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I feel like it's such a small world. I had been uh, speaking with your global news team through email to have you on the podcast. And then my former roommate, who was just on a recent episode, nominated you to come on at the end, (laughs) saying that your story is nothing short of incredible and that you would have great things to share here. So so thank you. That is so great. For anyone who's like, wait, what? Who's the former roommate? That's Morgan Campbell. Um, So you've actually gone through quite a transition in the last year, and maybe that's where we start. On this podcast, we're talking about the things that are sometimes uncomfortable to talk about, Mm -hmm. being in the spotlight, and finding the boundaries between personal life and professional life. What led to the switch to Weekend Anchor for you? Hmm, I think I had outgrown local anchoring. I had felt for a while that... um, that the position that I had deserved somebody who was, you know, really excited about it. And I, I just felt like I'd done it for a while and I'd been in local news for so long and national was just so interesting to me. I mean, the issues that you cover, the type of think pieces that you cover um, are very different than, than you would on a local level. So, um, yeah, I think it was kind of time. It was time to, to make a change and to move on and to learn again. I think that was the biggest thing. Um, I felt like I was a bit complacent. I wasn't, I wasn't learning as much as I wanted. And this past year has been such an education and I've gotten many things wrong and it's been great (laughs) to Hmm. be able to, yeah, grow your brain. I totally feel you on that, on the becoming stagnant thing. The second you're not challenged, right? Like you, you do not perform the same way. No. How about family life and taking on like a huge weekend job? That must be kind of tough for you. Yeah. It's not, I mean, look, it's not easy. (laughs) It's the weekends. Um, there's been a silver lining in the sense that, you know, I could go to field trips and, you know, my go to skating with my daughter in her class and skiing and, and, and do things during the week and take my son to hockey. Um, so those are things that I always would miss, um, make dinner, um, because I'd be home at like seven. So I would never, I'd I'd miss that. I would come home and then the kids would go to bed, but now I'm able to not to, to be present during the week. And it's, it's a gift. And I'm also working a four day week, which is Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that has been life-changing I, I interesting I wish everybody would do that in every industry I think it makes such a big difference uh it's helped my mental health it's it's been great for my family and on the weekends my husband uh has the kids completely which is great because during the week he's you know in work mode and so on the weekend he can just do whatever mm. he wants with them and they have their time and yeah it's does your good. husband also work in the industry Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I could be with somebody who worked in the industry, to be honest. Yeah. No, he works in tech. He works in a, in a, but he's super interested in the news. I think he actually reads probably more news than I do in the morning. <laughs> you know, he wakes up, he like reads, you know, all the papers and the economist and everything. He's, he's more, sometimes, sometimes he's a bit more, um, he knows more than I do. Like, he'll be like, did you guys cover this? And I'm like, where did you even find this? So he's, he's, I think inside his heart, he's a producer, but uh, no. And then like a, an hour later, you're pitching it in the news. Yeah, oh, yeah. always, always, always. Love he has it. great, great, great pitches. Yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky. You mentioned though, that coming to um, the weekend gig, that you learned a lot of lessons along the way and started learning again. What are some of those things? Um, I think I have, I'm a lot easier on myself. And I think I have more confidence in who I am. I'm not trying to be someone else. I'm not trying to be, you know, the perfect anchor. I'm not, I'm just, I, I, I've given myself permission to kind of be me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I used to in interviews, I used to just really script questions and really stick to them and be worried about, you know, missing something. And now I'm more in, in the moment and in the conversation. And if I miss it, I miss it. I'm, I kind of forgive myself for it. I don't, I'm not as hard on myself. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are the few things. I think I'm easier around the people around me that I work with. I think I, I had a, a high barometer and high expectation from a lot of people. And now I think through the pandemic, I've, I've kind of understood a bit more about how everybody's on their own journey and dealing with their own stuff and yeah. not everything's always going to be perfect. Yeah. So in learning about giving yourself grace, you're now giving grace to others. Yeah. Too, yeah, that's, yeah that's the way to look at it. Right. Newsrooms. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories over the years. I actually started in broadcast journalism myself. They can be toxic places for women. Mm-hmm. How was your experience coming up in the ranks? Like where, where was your first gig? Oh, good question. Uh, my first gig was at uh, Rogers Cable when I was 17 or 18. Um, I was a co-op student and they put me on air right away. And um, Which market? Mississauga. Nice. Um, so that was an interesting, an interesting thing to just kind of be thrown, thrown to the wolves in, in a, and you know, I don't think anybody was really watching Rogers news on Rogers back then, but to me, I thought <laughs> the whole world was watching and it was everything I did was so important. So, um, yeah, that was unique and, and it was, and you're volunteering, right? So you're, well, I was a co-op student, so you're not getting paid, you're working all these hours. So it's, yeah, it can be pretty intense. It's always felt like such a fight, I think, for women to get their piece of the pie, whether it is like an anchoring gig or like mm-hmm. that primetime reporting gig or, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Did you find you experienced any of that? Yeah, I mean, I think I experienced it to some level at every newsroom I worked in. I worked at uh, 1010 at CFRB 1010, a radio station, and most of the people I worked with were male. There was so few, there, I think there was one female host during the weekdays and I produced for two hosts for the weekend and even they struggled. Like it, it's, it's not easy, especially talk radio. It just, it was, it wasn't a place where there was a lot of women um, and certainly not women producers and certainly not women of color. So that was a really, um, yeah, that was, I would say that was challenging to start, but I didn't know anything different. I didn't, I didn't, I had no idea that this was, uh, that there were other places where there were women leaders. I didn't even think about it. It wasn't even yeah. in my consciousness. I mean, that was also a time where I never would have thought I'd be a news anchor, let alone a national news anchor. So that was just kind of how things were. When you look back now, you think, okay, some of that stuff was problematic, you know, and <laughs> assumptions that were made about you or things like that. And then I worked, worked to City TV, which was uh, quite rock and roll. <laughs> um, and Is yeah, that but- the rock and roll newsroom? That's a thing? Oh, city TV. Well, I don't know if rock and roll is the right word. It was, it was, well, there was no HR department, department put it that way. Um, so okay. it was kind of, yeah, it was kind of like anything went. Um, but there was, you know, the female and male anchor were treated very differently. Like there was, you know, there was a lot of amazing female reporters who I'm still friends with today, um, who were helpful to me at that time. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, where I work now, I, I think is it has even changed, even global. You know, there was a lot of it was it was very male dominated and, and that's changed. We have a lot of women in leadership now. Mm-hmm. When did you start with Global? 2015. Yeah. So it's been, I think it'll be eight years soon. Yeah. And coming into that like 5, 6 p.m. anchor position, that's a coveted mm-hmm. spot, right? Yeah, totally. Um, who was like the first person in Global who like, made you feel empowered that like, yeah, you deserve that role. I think it was both my bosses. Uh, I had a news director named Kai Tigert and, and the guy who's in charge of the entire news department, his name is Ward Smith. And he had, we'd been in touch for years before even he hired me. So he'd known, um, he'd known about me for a long time. And 
I was pregnant um, when they called me to meet them really? at the Shangri-La for uh, <laughs> a drink um, to discuss, you know, the the role because uh, the, the anchor had had, he had a PR company on the side. They got Leslie Roberts, he got fired. They were looking for somebody. And um, I remember like the same day, I think it was the same day I, I saw the positive pregnancy test. It was the same day I got an email from Makai, who I'd worked with at 1010, who said, uh, do you want to come you know, we'd love to meet with you to talk about this role. And I'm like, oh, wow, like this is a dream role, but um, I'm pregnant. Like, how would this even work? So I went to uh, drinks and I had water and they were like, to have a glass of wine. I'm like, oh, no, um, I don't. So drink you didn't disclose it? No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I just I, I had to just I mean, it was I, I just found out. I mean, told my parents, like, you know, just my husband knew. So I couldn't oh, tell yeah. these guys. Um, and then. We went, I thought, you know what, we'll go further in the talks and, you know, if it comes up, it has to come up. And then it, um, we kept going and, and I got closer and closer and I was getting bigger and bigger because with your second, you start showing, you know, a lot earlier. And these companies take forever as well. So it's like, it's two months later now. Yeah, yeah, it's two, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and now I'm pretty pregnant. So anyway, but I was still hiding it. I didn't even tell anybody at, at uh, CP24 where I worked. Um, that I was pregnant. And then, um, yeah, we did the audition. It went really well. I got along really well with my co-anchor, who I'd also known from the fields, Alan Carter. And um, and then they, yeah, then they offered me the job. And I I, I had no idea what to do. Like, I, I'm like, I have to, and, I, you know, everybody had said to me, you don't have to tell them. They don't have to know. But in I, I just couldn't, I'm somebody who I can't, I don't lie. Like I just, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm honest to a fault. Um, yeah, which is sometimes problematic. <laughs> Some people don't yeah. like you sometimes when you're too honest, but I'm, 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 that's just how I operate. So, um, I called, uh, Ward and I said, look, um, I'm not going to sue you. You totally have an out. I'm pregnant. And if you want me, you want me with my kid. But if you don't, no hard feelings. But I, just so you know, my child is the priority, not this job. So if you still want me, let's do this. Otherwise, either I'm sure there's a lot of people who want this role. I and, love how you handled that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's what the reality was. And then I knew that I wasn't going to be this, you know, mom who wasn't going to be there for her kid. Like, that wasn't an option. So I, um, he didn't even hesitate. He's like, no, we've wanted you for years at this network. And this is, you know, they, they'd offered me jobs in the past. And this is what we want you for. So I took the job and I volunteered to take a very short mat leave, which in hindsight, I probably regret a little bit. But um, they didn't force me. But I took a very, very short mat leave. I think it was like 11 weeks. And oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I remember pumping in the makeup room. <laughs> and uh, if you ever ever heard a breast pump, it's like the weirdest noise. It's like, rrr, 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 and like guys are coming in the meteorologist. Guys are coming, getting their makeup done. And I'm just like wearing a, something on What's top up? so they can't see my breasts and just rrr, rrr, filling milk. And, um, but I would go back between, so it was, it was good in a way. Cause I would be able to be with my daughter all day. And then I would go um, do the show pump and then I would come back. So it was, but it was hard cause you're, you know, you gained all this weight emotionally. You're a, a wreck. You become and a different person. You become a different person. And you're just In that experience. totally, and you're on TV. So, so you'd watch yourself and you'd be like, oh my God, is this my body? Is this what I look like? Like it was just, you know, and nobody made me feel like that at all, but I have yourself myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, not to mention we've been conditioned mm -hmm. to think and feel this way, especially in this industry. 
Totally, totally. Yeah, so you're society in, aside. <laughs> and and forgetting the industry, I mean, the viewers, like there's some yeah. viewers who are really nasty, you know, who say such mean things. And um, I mean, I was recently asked if I was pregnant with my third, you know, so by oh. a viewer. So, but it's, it's fine. It doesn't, that I've developed a very thick skin over the years, but um, there are people who, because you're in their homes, they feel like they know you. And, and the, the beautiful positive side to that is such kindness and love and empathy. And people are just so wonderful, but there is another side to that where people think they can say whatever they want to you. So, mm. yeah. So that was hard a little bit when I was pregnant. Um, but yeah, sorry. I, I answered that in a really long way. Oh my God. Don't <laughs> say sorry. It's a podcast. You just go, you talk. <laughs> so I think those two, I mean, they were guys, yeah. but they were, they were in my corner. Like they, they helped me. Um, they knew that I was going to be a mom. Like, I mean, they even talked. They're like, do you want us to build a nursery near the newsroom? Like, do you want us to, what can we do to help you? It was always like, um, how can we make your life easier? And then it got to a point where, you know, I needed to start doing shoots and really, and you know, then we, then things escalated and I had to, but, but at the beginning they were so, yeah. so understanding. So how many months pregnant would you have been when you actually started the job? Oh God. So I think I started in July or I was born in October so I would say like six a good six months so they introduced me to their staff and I'm like huge by then right and, and how did that go with your colleagues men or women yeah that was hard because I think the and and it was hard for them I mean they just had an anchor who had a PR company on the side our ratings were amazing and then he left and they totally dipped and you know, they're feeling like what's happening with our show. And then, uh, they have, they hire, they hire me and I'm pregnant and I'm like, oh, guys, I'm going to go for a few weeks too. And I had to go on bed rest before. So I started, I worked like, I think two or three weeks, maybe a month. And then I had to go on bed rest, um, for the rest of my pregnancy. And I, I was like, can we just put a, like, a, can we put the studio, you know, back then before COVID, there was no, this couldn't happen, but yes. you know, I was like, can we set something up in my house? And, you know, and they're like, no, that doesn't, I don't know what, that's not even possible. Nobody can do that. And now of course, you know, that happened after, but, um, it was, it was hard for, for my colleagues because they, they, they needed a, a leader. They needed an anchor literally. And, and here I was uh, leaving, but my co-anchor, Alan Carter, God bless that guy. He just, he has, even to this day, he's not even my, he has my back anytime. Like he just, he, he held the fort. He, he did everything. So yeah. How has your experience been with other women? Yeah, that's been interesting. You know, it's funny. I hadn't really had a mentor, a female mentor until maybe like three or four years ago. Um, I had colleagues that, you know, would give me a bit of guidance, but they were doing their own thing too. And a lot of them were moms and trying to get by and survive. And then I had female bosses who were really tough and didn't have that kind of empathy and were like, you know, suck it up. I remember being somewhere where I was with a bunch of, you know, leaders and news and they were making fun of a, a correspondent who, who called in sick because she had her period. And they were just like, yeah, they were just like, she's never going to go anywhere or in my head, I was like, well, I get really, I mean, I work through them, but I should be off. You know what I mean? I get yeah. what this person is going through. Like, that's hard. If it, you know, yeah. I don't think they're making it up. Do you like, speak up in those situations before you continue? Sorry. I didn't then. I didn't then. I was very, I, I took it all in. I didn't know how to speak up then because those environments, I wasn't in a leadership role. I was a cog in the wheel. I was a reporter. Now, oh, I 100% speak up. Now there's that, you found that, that stuff voice, doesn't yeah. get by. People don't say these things to me, I guess, now anymore because they know. <laughs> yeah. But back then I just, yeah, I just kind of took it in and, and, and I learned, and it was really hard because also these like other news, female leaders, there was, I was in a, in an executive's office once and, um, 
there was some international story and she was trying to get one of her um, foreign correspondents to go to cover the story. And her, the correspondent was like, well, it's my son's birthday and I, I can't, we planned a whole party. And she hung up with that correspondent and she was like, well, I'm never going to ask her for a foreign assignment again. And it's, it's hard because as a mom now, I know, I mean, how, like my son's birthday is coming, like how much work you put into, like you can't not be there for something like that, no matter what's happening in the news. That'd be heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking, right? Like if it was a huge story, maybe uh, like I would, my husband would have to, but even that I wouldn't want to go. I wouldn't want to leave. Like I'd want to, it'd be hard to do that. So in any case, um, I feel like people were not targeting me specifically, but hearing how they spoke about other women, you know, and it was always kind of like, you're not one of those, you work so hard, you're not one of those, but this person's like this, this person's like this. And, and, and now I look back and, and it's, it's, I think it just perpetuated the problem that women have in news and newsrooms, right? That yeah. carry this heavy load. And I don't expect, I don't expect men to understand because they're not going through it. So I, I don't expect them to fully get the load that women carry, that mothers carry, that, you know, the, the, the extra load, they probably get it in a way, but they would never get it as we would get it. Right. But women, you, you think would understand it because they've been there, right? Like they've yeah. had young kids or they know, or they've seen their own mother or whatever. Like, and I feel like sometimes that's women are sometimes, um, we have to be kinder. Yeah. They could be kinder. Exactly. So recently, like I, I noticed a post that you shared and it was, basically like a note written to viewers um, saying thank you for your concerns because you had stepped away and taken a leave for a little bit. I love how you were so like forthcoming about, you know, what you were going through personally. Can you talk a little bit about what was going on behind the scenes there? Because I think like you've been really like forthcoming about mental health and that's the piece I'm very interested to hear about, like why you finally shared. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny because it's not finally like I will. I would talk to anybody who'd listen about this. <laughs> like, I guess I just didn't do it on a, a public forum, Social. but I totally would have if I'd been asked to. Um, it's it's something that so just to give a bit of a backstory, there was a family health issue, which I don't want to get into, uh, sure. which took place in November. And um, I took a step back to be there for my family member. And um, but going through that, uh, a lot of stuff came up. For myself, interesting. This was a really serious health situation, and um, I had lost a child. I had a twin who passed away, um, and so I hadn't really dealt with that when I had. Uh, after I, you know, I gave birth, I took mat leave, I went back to work, I had another kid, I took a short mat leave, I came back to work. So it was just kind of, you know, I describe it as like a train that just keeps going, and and you just there's nowhere to get off. So you're not processing things. And for some reason, I guess, cause I was forced to step back because of what was happening in my family. Um, I, it just allowed me to kind of all the stuff kind of came at me and things I hadn't dealt with before and hadn't thought about. And it was really, it was in a really dark place, um, with anxiety, depression. Um, yeah, it was, it was very, very challenging and I got help. I mean, I, I, I've, I've never been afraid to get help. It's, it's something I've, I did even, you know, in my twenties, um, when I needed it, but this was, this was like probably the worst I'd been in terms of mental health and, um, the lowest point. And I, yeah, I, I reached out, I got, I got help. And I think it, it, it changed, it changed me. I mean, it changed me as a person. I, I, I did so much work, Sarah. I, I was doing therapy on a regular basis and um, it was very hard and very exhausting, but uh, I, I said, I'm not going to use this time and do nothing with it. I need to 
to figure out how I can be a better version of me and how I can process things that I'm going through. So I let myself have that time. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. Well, here we are a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know, you're thinking, who doesn't? But ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors. Activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn. Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us, Women of Ill Repute. What you just said about the train makes so much sense. I feel like I've definitely felt that. Where we're so good at just like compartmentalizing mm-hmm. and then walking away onto right. the next thing. And like add to that the layer of being a mother. Yeah. Add to that the layer of the loss that you experienced Mm -hmm. and, you know, recognizing that you, you got to do something for you there. Um, You could have even made it about the family situation, but you recognize that it was much deeper and it was something in you. And that's why you had felt, I guess, triggered at that point. Um, What, what's one of the like most helpful tools that came out of that for you that you would offer up to someone going through that? (sighs) I think I wasn't afraid to get on medication, which there's a big stigma about. Um, So I think that was key. I think it, I mean, it really helped me. Um, I knew when to get off it. I knew when to, I knew when I needed it. I knew, you know, like I was, I was aware of it and it, I don't think I could have gone through this journey without it. I think there's, I think there's two things that have to happen at the same time for some people for like me who were going through this depression and anxiety. There was, um, the, the medication and then the therapy. And I think they kind of go hand in hand. The other thing that was interesting, um, I just kept feeling guilty about it. You know, I kept saying to my doctor, who's a friend of mine, um, I'm like, I was telling her, am I making this up? Like, I, am I just being dramatic? Like, is this real? Am I, she's like, no, you, I can hear it in your voice. Like you, you're going through something like, this is not something you're making up. And I thought, but people are going through such worse things. Like I'm being silly. This is silly. Like, you know, and and she said, no, like, I want to medicate you. This is serious. What you're going through. Some of the things you're telling me are pretty dark. 
so anyway, it was, it was like, I didn't even believe myself. Yeah. You know, and cause we're so used to being strong and saying, you know, I'm going to work. I'm fine. I can go back to work. And I, I remember I kept call, telling the same bosses, Ward Smith, I kept saying to him, I'll come back next week. I'll come back next week. I'll come back next week. And he said to me, Farah, like, you're asking my permission. You have to ask your own permission. Like it's not, you will not be penalized even a bit in your career for taking this time. Take it. I'm telling you, like he was forcing me to take more time because he thought he, he heard also that I wasn't well in the way that I would speak to him. So I think we have to trust ourselves. I didn't trust myself. Mm. Wow, this Mackay fellow might deserve his own episode of episode. Women in Media. Well, there's two. There's Mackay and there's yeah. also Ward, uh, both of them. Yeah, they, yeah. They're, they're such champions of women, both of them. And I and I can't, honestly, I can't tell you. And my co-anchor, Alan. Like, they just, all three of them. I'm That's very amazing. lucky. I've heard the name so many times also through, yeah. through Morgan. And, like, she has felt the same type of support when she's been going through tough stuff, too. So... I love that. I have certainly not experienced that level of support. And I almost feel like in the HR departments that I have had, um, that it's, you know, it's an afterthought. It's a, yeah, we just got to cross the T's and dot the I's here. Yeah. Even taking a mental health leave, like making that decision, Mm -hmm. like there's stigma against that as well, right? So. Yeah. And that stigma, like to me, now I see it as like people who were stigmatizing what's going on in their lives? You know, like whenever somebody criticizes, it's usually something to do with them. Yeah, it's a trigger for them. Yeah, it's a trigger for them. Maybe they need a mental health. Maybe they need <laughs> mental Maybe they need to look internally, you know? And yeah. and I kind of feel bad in a way for, for people like that who don't, and, and especially in my community, because it's still very taboo, as it is in every community probably, but it, it makes me so sad that people feel like they can't, Yeah. you know? When you say community... When you say community, are you talking about like your colleagues at work or you're talking about? That's a good question. Both. Um, Yeah, definitely my work community for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think you're, you're looked, still looked at as kind of less than when you're going on these, on these. Oh, for sure. You know, and uh, on mental health, even though a lot of people have done it, um, I still think you're looked at as like, oh, you couldn't handle it. You couldn't cut it. We go through such difficult things at work. We see so many horrible things in the news and it's um and people are like well you couldn't cut it that's how I feel like it seemed but yeah like I don't I don't see it that way I think we're all individuals we're all built in different ways you know so yeah also my ethnic community where it's like so I'm Muslim my parents are from East Africa I was born here um and I have a mom thankfully who was woke before woke was a thing you know (laughs) yeah she just is like I mean, like her best friend in the eighties was gay and she just like it, which is like in our community again, never, never would have thought she had people who were anyway, anybody, like anybody who had issues in life would come to my mom. Cause they knew she was so understanding and wouldn't judge. And even my friends still to this day, will talk to her, will call her up. So she, I just, I, I was lucky to have that. So I never saw it as a stigma. I never thought it was, it made you less than, or it was a problem to ask for help. Cause I knew she did when she needed mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. How has your ethnicity um, impacted your career, good and bad? Because mm. I know you've won an award for some of your work. Yeah, on, yeah. On this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a lot of work on the racial reckoning before it was kind of a mainstream topic, and that was challenging because, you know, you a lot of the leaders that we have are not diverse, and it was mostly white guys at the top, right? So you're trying to convince them what's a story and what's not a story, and. Um, 
I was really fascinated with intersectionality, which is, you know, being a person of color, but also being gay, for example, or, being, you know, having having these kind of uh, layers of who you are and, and how that how that changes things. So um, Ali Wilson, my producer and I, we, we produced this show called Living in Color, which I'm really proud of. And it was about just about that. And all our topics were kind of different things, but how they affect people of color. And it was it was hard because there sometimes we'd say, well, this is a story, and and the group of white guys in the boardroom that are green lighting our episodes are like, that's yeah. not a story. And it's like, no, no, this that, we're, we're telling you, like this is a story, you know. There's been challenges in that part, in in that, and there's been, um, and again, again, I go back to the what people have inside them, right? So uh, that word racist is so charged, right? Nobody wants to be called a racist, and so. When I, whenever I'd point stuff out, and this is at Global, this is at City, it's, CT, it's like at CB24, like whenever you'd point stuff out, there's some people who would get their back up. And it's interesting to me that it was always those people who were kind of looking internally and being like, wait a minute, am I racist? Did I think that way? You know, and those are the people who kind of, instead of taking it as a learning moment, they would, they would get a little bit defensive. Which so, is really easy to do, to learn from things like totally, that. Totally, totally. And I yeah. think we're in a different world now because I think a lot of people they would um yeah i think a lot of people like now we know right we're learning and we're but i think back then it, it wasn't thought of it it was just kind of like what are you talking about this doesn't exist and and i'm like no 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 i'm telling you it exists like i promise you this exists this is a thing <laughs> yeah and i remember saying before the pandemic like race is the biggest story of our time because there were so many like culture wars in ways you know and and now we're seeing it like now it's just it's all it's the time on the news there's so many yeah and it's it's validated, sadly. Like, I wish I was wrong. Um, have you ever felt that as a target in a newsroom? The only thing I felt is people saying, and I heard this recently, um, uh, yeah, which was, you know, she got her job because of it. I mean, I didn't hear it, but somebody Someone, told me that somebody said it. Oh, my God. I'm getting so angry for you. Yeah. Right so it's it's that stuff still bothers me, you know, that, sure. you know, you got your job because you're brown. And, and to me, I think, to be honest, I think I was hired at Global, which was a very white network when I was hired there, because I brought a different perspective. But I don't think I would have been hired if I wasn't also good at my job. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's, I, it's great that I can bring my perspective to it, but I don't think they would hire me if I sucked, you know, and I don't think I would make it to national if I was a horrible you know, reporter. <laughs> yeah. So I, I know in myself, but it's sad that there's still colleagues who say things like that. Right. And there's mm-hmm. still people who think like that, not just to me, to, uh, to a lot of other people like me in the news. Um, and it's kind of, it's funny. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we call it like brown girl syndrome where we're just kind of always trying to prove ourselves. And I feel like I've gotten to this point where now I'm like, I don't need to prove it to you. Like, I don't, I don't need to, I know, I know yeah. my worth and I'm good this is you. coming out of the therapy, right? You're like, totally, 100%. No, absolutely no. not. No, I don't 100%. tolerate that. Yeah, and, and I think that was part of it. Like I had this real thing about one of the biggest issues that I worked in in therapy was my perfectionism, right? Like just feeling like because I was a little bit different, I had to be perfect all the time. You know, my English had to be perfect. Everything had to be perfect. You know, I had to look the part, you know, and and I had to be fully made up and fully everything had to look right. And, and now I like I, that stuff is not as important to yeah. me, you know. Also on the topic of um, like ethnicity, um, I mean, you mentioned a couple things that aren't really like um, we'll call it accepted in Muslim religion. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you've been able to bring some of the more positive parts of 
that religion to maybe your viewers? Yeah. I mean, I think after 9-11, it was really hard. I think it was hard for a lot of us, right? Like, and and yeah. I mean, I had a friend who was who had nothing to do with anything yeah. and had a flyer of like a flying something helicopter ride something and got, you know, CSIS was after him and thought he was like up to no good. And, and so there's so many people like that who have stories. Um, and so we all kind of went through stuff. But I think I think the world has come a long way. Unfortunately, Islamophobia is big time on the rise right now. Yeah. And, you know, we have a law in Quebec that, you know, doesn't let people practice freedom of religion. So th- stories like that. And I mean, I didn't, didn't interview the prime minister. And then that was one of the things that I was just hammering him on. And I hadn't seen him asked in that way that question, because it just to me, these things are so obvious yet. Um, yeah. Yet it's not something that's that's talked about in, in a mainstream way, in my opinion, where it should be. Yeah. Did he dodge, in your opinion? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, 100%. He dodged. I mean, I think, I feel like he knows, but it's, you know, it's a lot of politics behind everything. And yeah. I didn't expect to get a straightforward answer, but um, it's just it's just a story that I wish we'd focus on more and, and not just anti-Muslim hate, anti-Semitism. There's just so much happening in this country yeah. and we need to pay attention to it. For sure. So tell me about your favorite interview ever. Oh, my gosh. Um, or a couple, if, if you're like, I can't choose. Oh my God. I don't even know. I, I honestly, I mean, I had a good one the other day. I talked to the um, chief negotiator from Ukraine. That was really cool to kind of hear from him. Yeah. Like, when do you get to talk to the guy who's in charge of all, you know, um, like the, yeah, like the whole new world order. And I I was able to, we we aired some of it. I talked to him for a long time and, and it was just, it's just so fascinating speaking to people who are really like right there doing the thing, you know, and that's, that's always really cool. One of my favorite interviews actually was an interview where both the interview subject and I cried, which was Julie Black. <laughs> and it was about, and Julie will tell you, did you already interview? You already interviewed her. It's too bad you guys could yeah. have talked about this because she, her and I, like, even when we talk about this interview, we start tearing up. But Is she one of your pals? No? Yeah, yeah, I love yeah. That. She's just she's such a great person. She's just such a good person. I told her she needs to host her own podcast. So hopefully that, if anything, that that comes oh, out of today. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's uh, oh, she's she has so much on the go. I fun fact, yeah. I was in one of her music videos. <laughs> Funny enough, which one? <laughs> um, it was oh god, was it last year or two years? Was it during the pandemic? I can't even remember. It was a few years ago. She got a bunch of women. Um, who she admires and, and is friends with. And we all dress like boss babes. And that was kind of the theme of the, the music video. And it, it, was, cool. it was really cool. Yeah. Um, but she, um, yeah, we both, and it was about race. It was the first time she kind of opened up. It was a, a series I was doing called First Time I Was Called. And she was talking about the first time she was called uh, the N-word on public transit. And she, and it was like, she's like, this is the first time I've told the story. And she just started crying and I started crying. And it was just this, powerful moment of two people who are who are not in the interview room right now we are in a different you know we're just our hearts are both speaking to each other and it was it was you don't often get interviews like that where it's it's just so true you know it's so real that that Mm -hmm. relationship that bond and you could certainly resonate with that experience exactly exactly and and again nobody was talking about this before like nobody was talking about the like any anything like this so doing these stories you know you put them up online and the amount of hate you get like it was just you'd have to turn off your phone like it was just it was crazy so Mm -hmm. and again what was the name of that series again first time i was called 
What a great name for a series. Oh, I'm going to try to embed that in the book. Oh, that'd be great. That'd I be great. I'm really, I'm really proud of it. But it's funny you say that, like on the topic of like hate and trolls, she had just shared, right? Like something not so good that came out of her switch of one word in the anthem. I mean, you're in a public position, so it's bound to happen. Um, how do you deal with that stuff if someone online is coming at you? You know what? I don't, I actually have pulled back from Twitter quite a bit. So you I found think, most of it was there. Yeah, it was all on Twitter. So I just, I basically just really post interviews I've done or fact-based things. There's nothing yeah. that's, um, Donna Friesen, who's the weekday anchor. She, we had a conversation. She kind of inspired me. She's like, what's the point? Like, why, why do you need to do it? Like, you don't need to, you just, you just get all this hate afterwards. So, and I said, you're right. You're totally right. It's silly. Like I'm, what am I going to fight with all these people? Like <laughs> it doesn't yeah. make any sense. So um, now I just post what I want to. I don't. Things are not as maybe um, controversial when I post, and um, yeah, I just I, I keep it there as just a, a showcase some of the work I do. But I, I really try not to. Like I, I'm very thoughtful about what I put on because I just I don't want to deal with the hate after. It's just it, it just gets to be sometimes too yeah. much. Um, but there was a, a time where it was, I mean, there was people who thought my husband was um, a terrorist and were, were, there was a guy who was like super convinced and said he, was, he knew my address and he was coming to my house. And that's scary. Yeah. And like to say things about my family that are not true. Like it's, that was really hard. People were talking about my kids, like it just mean, horrible, horrible things. Like I'd get rape threats, I'd get death threats. Like there was so many things. And it was just, and, you know, people saying that they know where you live, they know where you are. And um, yeah, that was tough. That was tough. Tell me about the most empowered moment that you have felt in your entire career. Hmm. Because for some people, it is an award or something that validates what they've been working so hard for, getting the anchoring job, right? Mm. Like, things like that. And, and, and And maybe that's it. Like, it was standing there on the first day at Global, like at anchoring being a being a muslim woman to anchor a pregnant pregnant yeah yeah pregnant to anchor a newscast like it was kind of surreal it was like how are both these things happening in tandem and and i that they had like a huge campaign launch so my face was everywhere like buses and billboards and everywhere and i remember my dad just like we we were we were i took him on the subway to see the posters and he was just his face like his smile like he would have <laughs> never thought when it came to canada his daughter's face would be plastered everywhere, you know, uh, his pregnant daughter. And <laughs> it was just this, I guess it was just this really cool moment of, of um, this kind of full circle, is it? I guess maybe not. It's a straight line because it's going to keep going. But it's, um, it was this moment of pride where it's, you know, my, my parents had nothing when they came here. They were both victims of racism. My grandparents, you know, everybody, they couldn't, they all lived in one tiny apartment, all my uncles and aunts, like, and then and now here... They, my my uncle rode the TTC from Kipling to Scarborough and my dad and they stopped at every stop and they tried to get jobs. They tried to get a job when they first came to Canada. They rode the whole subway and they didn't get one job. They weren't offered one job and they were both engineers. Um, oh, and, come on. Yeah, yeah. And then being in that same subway on the Bloor line, like seeing my face on the subway and then <laughs> seeing my face on the poster with my dad. It was just this this moment where it was like, wow, like it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know? This is the stuff dreams are made of. That's, yeah. that's a, that is a full circle moment for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is there anything we need to know about that you are working on now that, you know, people can watch on your socials or on global, um, for like anything special coming out? 
Yeah, I'm working on a, I'm working on um, a show for the new reality, our, our uh, news magazine show about dementia that I'm very excited about and the future of dementia treatment. Um, that's something I'm super interested in about. Um, I've also just been named Celebrated Ambassador for Plant Canada, which I'm also very, very excited about. Sweet. Um, and one thing there I really want to talk about is actually menstrual health, because I think that's something we don't discuss often enough. I like talking about things like we did with race a few years ago that nobody wants to discuss. Uh, because I'm not scared to talk about that. Um, and uh, and I think it's going to be something we're going to be talking about in a few years anyway. You know, it's just going to take yeah. a little while for everybody else to get there. So that's interesting. Uh, those are, those okay. are some cool things. Yeah. I'll make sure that I get some links for those things so we sure. can put them in the episode notes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I want to I wanna end with uh, your nominations. Who do you think should come on and share their stories oh, that you love and admire? Um, oh, there's so many. Okay. Uh I would say Sangeeta Patel. She's a good friend of mine. Honestly, I want to work out with her. <laughs> oh my God. Doesn't everybody? She's amazing. She's just amazing. She's just such a good person. Um, and uh, who else? Pooja Honda. She's also a friend of mine. Um, Arthi Pohl with CBC. She's also great. Um, yeah, I think those right now are ones that I can think of. Um, my best friend you might want to talk to, Naomi Parnas. She, is, uh, she was in the industry for a long time and left and now is like kick-ass, like partner in her company. Um, and okay. she has totally like, she's left the business and she can tell you all about what it was like to be a woman <laughs> in the business and had to leave because she didn't feel like she could raise a family at the same time. And, um, and now she's making way more money than than anybody I know. So she's doing she's doing it in spades and I'm so happy for her. Well, thank you so much for, you know, sharing so much of your story. And again, I admire how you handled all the mental health stuff. And I mean, everything you've just told me about even your ethnicity, um, you should be so proud of how you're portraying everything to not only viewers, but the family that you have. Thank you very much. That's very sweet. Thank you. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.